Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with Anna Tashinsky, Andrew Hunter-Murray and James Harkin. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, that is Anna. My fact this week is that scientists have invented a 30 centimeter tall robot that could jump over the Statue of Liberty if it was on the moon. If they were both on the moon. If they were both, yes, sorry, not if the Statue of Liberty was on the moon and the robot was on Earth. That would be (laughs) incredible. Wow. So, sorry, we've moved the Statue of Liberty to the moon. That's right, yes. Which I don't know why. So aliens, when they first come, the first thing they see is the moon right before they see the earth unless it's on the other side depends what side they're coming from yeah. <laughs> but assuming they come from the moon side well, yeah the first thing they see is liberty enlightening the world so we'll have to move it to the dark side of the moon which, or rather the further side of the moon oh so yeah we'll never yeah. see it again because the moon and the earth are locked aren't they all the moon is tidally locked yeah, whatever. yeah that's true so we'll just never see it but, but we'll we've you've that... seen you know what it looks like yeah. now don't you we've got pictures we've got pictures Andy <laughs> we've we'll got pictures so this robot yeah <laughs> Which is an amazing robot. Um, yeah. This jump, without leaping over the Statue of Liberty, it can leap 10 metres, right? Yeah, yeah. It can still leap quite high. Um, it can actually leap 30 metres. So it can, it can leap what? over a 10-storey um, building. So it could also jump over the Statue of Christ the Redeemer in Brazil, I think. I'm pretty really? sure. And that's if it was on Earth. And that's on Earth. If, that's yeah. if, it if we got the Christ the Redeemer back from the moon, where would <laughs> we put it? Because <laughs> he always goes with the Statue of Liberty, doesn't he? Loves they're, they're dating. But how yeah. tall then is the Statue of Liberty? Uh, so the Statue of Liberty is 93 metres, I believe, and this uh, could jump on the moon 125 metres. So it could actually jump the Statue of Liberty's height and then about a third as high again. If she was giving Christ the Redeemer a piggyback? Uh, yes, mm. I think that should... Th- yeah, 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 that would metres, work. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite, yeah. Oh, right. Hard yeah. to do, though, with the arm angles of both statues. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to work out how the piggyback would work. <laughs> well, he's fine because he's up top. He's got his arms out. Yeah, he's fine. Do yeah. you know that the Angel of the North is actually giving Christ the Redeemer a hug? <laughs> 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 but they're just so far away, you never wow, see Wow, but tectonics really one day will bring them together. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, they'll meet. Anyway, this is a jumping robot. And scientists are very excited because it's really the highest a robot's ever jumped proportionally for its size. And it's made, it's quite a basic looking thing. It's made of rubber bands and some carbon fiber slats because they store energy really well. And it does have a motor. Yeah, so I just wanted to say it right. has a motor. Is that a... counts as a jump it if you have a motor? motor? Oh. Well, it's not using the motor to propel itself well, in it... the air. <laughs> It's using its motor like we would use a muscle, I guess, yeah. to bat well, to, to jump s- to wind up the rubber band. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. But it, maybe it counts. Maybe it doesn't. Take it up with the researchers. I think they've cheated on a number of fronts here. <laughs> <laughs> first of all, they put it on the moon. But yeah. it's a robot. You're allowed to give a robot a motor, aren't you? Yeah, you are. They're mm. they're showing off that it can jump way better than like anything in nature. Right. And they're saying that the reason is they're saying, "Oh, I mind is better than anything in nature." In your face, grasshopper. Yeah. But the reason it does it is because it has these carbon fiber slats and and stuff mm. like that. But actually, I would argue that one of the reasons is that they're using a motor. But I don't know. I agree. Mm. But I reckon they could do it with the force of just like a human pulling it. I think really, or, or maybe they could do it with with wind up. They'd have to have some sort of 
force applied. But yeah, the motor is not flying through the air like an aeroplane. It's not just an aeroplane. <laughs> <Robot. Yeah. laughs> also, it doesn't look like... Um, I, whenever I hear robot, I think it's got two legs humanoid. and two arms. Human, humanoid kind of... Well, not even humanoid, but, you know, like, it's... it's um, C-3PO. Yeah, exactly. So, so do you not think R2-D2 is a robot then? Um, yeah, good question. I... God, you really hmm. set him a trap there. <laughs> no. That was a so proper liar, wasn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, Your Honour, can I ask my client, actually the other person's client, <laughs> does he think that R2-D2 is a robot? If you were a lawyer, James, you absolutely would do that. You'd start cross-examining your own witness. <laughs> just so you, because you saw a point to be made. Yeah, and I would have set him up knowing that he's going to give me the wrong answer as well. <laughs> Sorry. That's fine. Damn it, I've had so much thinking time, I still haven't got an answer. Um, I don't, yeah, I do, it's obviously a robot, but so it's just worth saying that this one looks kind of like a toy for a cat, right? Like it's like yeah, a, yeah. It's, it's a like little a, ball a little that you would play with. Yeah, like it's a, got a cup. It's got two wheels at cross angles, or maybe three. I'm not can't remember. Yeah, it's it. like two bike wheels have crashed into each other at right angles. Yes, or like the skeleton of a football. <laughs> mm. Anyway, it's it's weird looking robot. I'll give you that. <laughs> Your Honor, I have another question. <laughs> The way it works, I should say, is that it's basically by um, the releasing a really, really strong elastic force, isn't right. it? So yeah. it's got these rubber bands that are stretched really, really super far. And this makes the carbon fiber bend like an archer's bow would bend. And then when you release those elastic bands, then the archer's bow bend straightens and it shoots up into the air. <laughs> and it makes the comedy noise. Yeah, <laughs> they, they had to add that sound effect. It actually has quite a lot of weight. It's very cool. Yeah, it's really cool. very cool. Did it? Was it a surprise to them how high it went the first time? I didn't even want it to jump. <laughs> just leapt out of their hands. This is the world's best standing still rope. Oh fucking hell! We've invented the perfect coffee table. <laughs> One of the Doesn't other good things about it is that it's able to right itself when it lands, mm. and so it sort of reinflates on the ground and then gets upright and then jumps away again. Great. So you got it. It keeps you on your your toes, and it will be useful. Apparently, this kind of technology in space. You know, in space we've got like um, sort of robots and asteroids already that mm. jump over the little lumps, and it could jump over. Oh, do we? Big That's lumps. Cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. Really... Well, like on Mars, kind of thing. Exactly. Like right. Like... For if there's a boulder in the way. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. If there's, I'll need to jump a hundred meters into the air. <laughs> could be a big boulder. Could be a big boulder. Yeah. That's true. I was looking up jumping records. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got a bit distracted thinking, when do you think the Queen last jumped? <laughs> Has she ever jumped? I'm sure she did because she's been a child. You know, she would have yeah. jumped and done skipping and things like that as a child. I've never but... seen her jump to my knowledge. No. Is there any footage mm. of the Queen jumping? Does anyone know? If you have, send it in and you could win £250. When do you need to jump in life? When you're skipping, uh, that's exercise. When you're exercising uh, in general, exercising. If you're, she goes on long walks. There might over be a, a little a stream that she's jumping over. A stream, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. if a corgi gets in the way when you're walking for your yeah. yes, jump the corgi. I think her corgi's a better trained than that. <laughs> Do you think that's what they say when um, a monarch has gone too far? <laughs> oh, she's really jumped the corgi now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Andy. We, no. In fact, none of us knows. We're just no. speculating. But it's great question. I though. think she has jumped, but I don't think oh, for yeah. a while. Do you know the highest jump by a horse? Hmm. Record. So was this Olympics? 
Uh, no, it wasn't. It's just a, the record. Although they did do the Haas high jump, didn't they, in yeah. the really early Olympics? I and think. long jump we covered as well. Yeah, in yeah. A, in a yeah. It's not, so Anna, I guess you mean the horse is allowed to run up to the thing. Yeah. So it's not jumping from a standing position. No, it's not jumping from well, a I standing position. I bet horses can't even do that. Um, I Ooh. bet they can a bit. <laughs> jump from a standing position. Yeah, yeah. they can jump they from can. a standing they position. Can. They've got muscles in their legs. Yeah, the queen can. can do it. Can she do it on a horse, though? Because she rides a lot, doesn't she? She can't jump the horse. Can she jump? Can the queen jump over a horse I don't from a think standing horse position? Can stand still I think I've jump. seen that happen at like badminton and stuff, yeah. where they have like multiple um, fences to go over, and yeah. they'll stop from one to the other. I think they right. definitely do that. I mean, I've seen horses do it as well. I think they're quite better at it than we are. I'm. I think you're right. I'm. I'm thinking of a horse standing with with all its legs straight. But you're allowed to bend your legs before you jump. Yeah, it can't yeah. fire itself up. <laughs> I on actually, the I don't think you can jump without a tiny bit of bending <laughs> of any muscles. You think you can, but now when you think about it, you're like, actually, I am moving my ankles a bit <laughs> if might. I do that. <laughs> sort of, <laughs> if I do that pencil jump. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it wasn't a pencil jump. <laughs> Just a normal horse jump. I think it's, I remember a fact, I think it's shorter than the human high jump. It's actually not that much higher than it, is but it, it is a bit higher. Uh, um, and it's, it beat everyone else by quite a long way, all the other horses. So it's eight foot one inch. And the record was set in 1949 and it's never been broken. Wow. Oh, really? And it was set by this really, this cool horse called Huasso. <laughs> and... Huasso? Huasso. 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 Oh my God, it's called Huasso. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a horse in Chile. I guess Huasso was the Chilean for horse in the 40s. Oh my Huas. <laughs> <laughs> My kingdom for a horse. <laughs> it came from New York to Chile. <laughs> anyway, it was really bad at everything else. And it was almost retired. In fact, I think it was almost put down because it failed at racing, at dressage, at show jumping, because it was very hard to control. And then an army officer was wandering by its field one day and saw it jump over a fence and thought, My God, that's high, and wow. bought the horse on the spot. And they trained it up specifically just to break the world horse high jump record cool. and it did it and it broke the record when it was 16 and the moment it broke it yeah. it retired and it was wow. never ridden again That's wow really good. isn't that nice one no... moment of glory in its life yeah That's no amazing. one to quit it retired or it was retired it made the decision <laughs> it signed the forms with little hoof prints they put it into a field with very high fences <laughs> <laughs> uh, some stuff on robots maybe oh yeah, yeah. One thing that's really hard for robots to do is handle soft fruit. Um, but there is a... <laughs> what? Because yeah, they don't need to eat fruit, I suppose. So I can't imagine it being they a problem. They haven't needed to learn. Yeah. yeah but what if, they, what if you want a robot to prepare you some fruit? Yeah, that's a good point. And I do. The problem is that fruit is uneven in shape, right? So even if you have two apples, they might not be exactly the same. Two bananas might not be exactly the same. But there's a guy called Hichiol Kim at the University of Tokyo, and he and his colleagues have developed a machine learning robot that has learned how to peel a banana. So it took 811 minutes of data that it had to watch to learn how to do this banana. Uh, The task was divided into nine stages, like first of all, grasping the banana, then picking it up off the table, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And now they have this robot that can successfully peel a banana 57% of the time. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stop stuff my um holiday beach bar with it, am I? Does it take ages as well? Does it three take minutes? Three minutes. <laughs> the queue is building up at Robo's beach bar for the banana smoothies. Uh, wow. 
77 percent of the time that's so funny oh. i was reading right. about um you can get these new robot smart suitcases Oh, which, yeah. oh, it just looks so cool. What so what do they it, do? It just follows you. Whoa, so like, let's imagine you're clever. in the airport and you're just walking to your plane. It's just coming up next to you, beside oh, cool. you. Is it with and a magnet or something? Because I've often thought you could get a great, like if you have the right magnet. No. Hmm. No. no, no, it's not. But um, you could, it, like, more likely radio waves coming from your phone and it just follows the waves. Exactly. Right? That would be another way of doing it. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Having a great big magnet. Walking through security <laughs> in the airport with a massive magnet. <laughs> yeah, I can see that working. <laughs> And also, everyone else has the same luggage as you, right? That's one problem. Everyone's just attracted to your massive and you're just walking around Heathrow with a hundred bags attached to you. It's not feasible, Andy. Like a beekeeper for suitcases. <laughs> a beard of suitcases. Yeah, there are, there are some teething, teething, teething troubles. Murray's magnet suitcase, yeah. Um, but yeah, so no, it's it's also got facial recognition. So it is a phone and there's yeah, facial yeah. recognition. And the facial recognition, that does mean if someone like Andy tries to <laughs> run off with your suitcase, it, it's got an alarm system. It says, no, no. Oh, or, or like, clever. you know, what, beeps. Does it, does it scream? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, Mr. Murray, no, please. That's really clever. Yeah, yeah, thank you. That's great. So, sorry, how does it... I can't, can't remember now how it works. It follows you around. Yeah, right? so doing? you've got... I guess you'll have an app on your phone and right, it's... Facial recognition, you Is this... But is what, this is it, what force? Oh. Sorry. Well, what is it using... Um, Probably they use a motor, motor cheating. It's one of the cheating, cheating robots. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like remote controlled. Only instead of you using a remote control, it's just following your phone. Yeah. yeah. But was there not a guy when we were in New York and we were walking down the street? Was there not a guy on a motorized? Um, what's it called St- skateboard yeah who fell off his skateboard and then the skateboard was like five meters away from him and he pressed a button on his phone and it kind of followed and yeah, came up to him wow. it. Do you remember yeah that? he I summoned it back I yeah, did. Yeah, yeah 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 we were walking along the street and well, he came up he looked like a bit of a chump he fell off his <laughs> skateboard but then he summoned it like a dog and it was cool are you yeah. sure because i remember the guy coming off but i don't remember the skateboard no, returning. I do remember that, like that, that did happen yeah, yeah. yeah. wow same technology or a magnet or a magnet <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't have fall off at all <laughs> with the magnet in place. Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that the last ever speaker of the bow language of the Andaman Islands would only speak it to birds who she considered to be her ancestors. So you might remember a few weeks ago we talked about the Andaman Islands, uh, about elephants swimming among them. I did a lot of research about the Andaman Islands themselves, but we never used it, so... (laughs) Here we are again. This is recycling. (laughs) Greta would be proud. Um, This is the Andaman Islands. As we said before, they are between um, just off the coast of India. And it's an article that I read on BBC Online about Professor Anvita Abbey, uh, who has written the first dictionary of this language. And she talked about this last speaker, um, who was called Boa Senior. Uh, And she said that, you know, I spoke to this person, got all the words, blah, blah, blah. Um, But whenever this woman... Did did, did she have to dress as a bird? (laughs) Well, she said, Anvita Ravi, Professor Anvita Ravi, she said they caught this woman um, speaking it to the birds. And when they asked her about it, why are you speaking it to the birds? They said, well, they're our ancestors and they're the only ones who understand my language besides yourself. 
Uh, and yeah, this is... Wow. About- That's very sad. Yeah. yeah. If she dressed as a bird, she would have been a feathered boa. Feathered <laughs> boa. Yeah, wouldn't she? Oh, brilliant. Really good. So she could have done that, but it probably wouldn't work in her language. That, that <laughs> joke. Tragedy. That is the tragedy. <laughs> it is. Yeah. She spent 30 years as the only person speaking it. Yeah. Such a long time. Yeah. She, she obviously she knew other variations of Hindi that she yeah also yeah spoke she could like co- yeah she could talk to other people yeah, um, yeah. with some in some ways. But she yeah. was quite spry at the yeah. so she died in 2010. Yeah, and mm. she was in her mid 80s, I think. But when the Indian Ocean tsunami came in uh, 2004, was it? I think. Yes. Yes. Um, she was 79 years old, and she had to climb up a tree to escape it. Yeah. Did she? Yeah. <gasps> maybe she asked the birds to lift her up into the branches of the tree. It's very oh, possible. Maybe she had a little motorized little thing in her she... ankle and was <laughs> lobbed up into the tree. It was really interesting about that because um, she used um, her group used really old knowledge to see that there was a tsunami coming um so it's the onge tribe um that she was part of and they use knowledge by the type of fish that are found at different levels of seawater so when the sea really went out there were different fish that they could see and they could see that there was a problem so they went to high ground Uh, there was another group called the uh, jarawas who were in the andaman islands and they saw the patterns of the waves changing and they had this ancient knowledge that knew that there was something that was a problem coming and so they could get away and the andamanese um, they're much more sort of integrated into indian society now and they were the slowest to react to this um, tsunami because they didn't have all of the ancient knowledge yeah. but that is it's weird you mentioned that because that's one of the things about um where languages is the fear that that kind of knowledge will get lost in rural communities there's so much kind of knowledge that we don't know yet i was listening to a really interesting podcast i think it was the Guardian Science podcast and it was about how we're losing medicinal plant knowledge because mm. of all these languages that are disappearing. So um, it was someone saying that like every botanist, even however much they know, they'll go into the forest and immediately they'll go, shit, I only know about 1% of these plants. Mm. And yet the local people who live in the Amazon or in Guinea or whatever will know all of them and will know like what they can be used for. And this guy did a study in the Amazon, North America and New Guinea and he made a list of 12,500 plant purpose pairings. My God, it must have taken a long time. <laughs> but it was, so that's like a plant and then the purpose that it's used yes. for yeah. pairings. And he said 75% of them were specific to one language. So they're not shared by any oh, other language. Wow. And most of those languages are endangered languages. Yeah. So yeah. all of that knowledge well, would go. Do they work? Big, do they, sorry, do these 12,000 Well, he actually work? didn't specify that. He gave examples. Of <laughs> 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 like dock leaves on a nettle stick. That's yeah. the only one I know. And it doesn't work. Do but you know, you know aspirin. That comes yeah, from yeah. Willow. Yeah. I had to go into a shop and ask for cowpole, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, most importantly, it feels like we need to teach people how to do that. But <laughs> the, There's an explorer called Wade Davis who's oh, been yeah. pushing this for many, many years. We've mentioned him on the podcast before. He's the one who claimed that uh, a meant- poo knife was made um, yeah. by... Yeah, yeah a, and a frozen, then, a frosty, frosty poo a knife. A frosty poo <laughs> knife. Um, yeah, but he... So Wade Davis, <laughs> Frosty the Poon, <laughs> less good Christmas Slight, creation, slightly older children. <laughs> but um, so Wade Davis says that, and he says this in his talks that he thinks that what our sort of period of time is going to be known for is it's going to be obviously the destruction of the environment. But he thinks the ethnosphere is the biggest thing that we've not noticed that we've decimated. All the languages of the world are mm. becoming extinct because we keep spreading out. We keep saying English is a great language. Why don't you learn that or French and you. We, yeah. we lose their languages and all the knowledge goes with it. 7,000 languages in the world and 2,000 are endangered, as in a th- less than 1,000 people speak them, I oh. think. 
It's sad, and they're going extinct every day, aren't they? A couple of recent ones. If you search on Google uh, News for like extinct last speaker of, yeah. you know, there's loads in the last couple of years alone. Really? Uh, yeah, this year we lost um, the Yagan language, the Yaghan language, the Jagan language, the Yakan language, the Yamana language, Hausi Kuta, Yagan Kuta, Tequinitsa, and Yapu languages wow. all on the same day um, because they're all same different day. words for the same language yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, this was in chile um this is a woman called christina calderon she was the last speaker of um, what we would mostly know as yagan and yagan uh, language is most famous among people like us who do this kind of research for a word which is uh, mami lapinatapai um, which got the Guinness World Record in 1993 for being the world's most succinct word. Ooh. And it means the unspoken but meaningful glance shared between two people during a private moment where both individuals know the other understands what is being expressed. And say again what it is. Mami lapinatapai. Okay. It's quite succinct. Yep. I could. I could create a shorter word. Could you? Ah, uh, we all know what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I read a really interesting piece about this Aussie island. It's called South Goulburn Island. Never heard of it before. It's off the coast because it's an island, obviously. Um, Which which coast? The Australian coast. (laughs) There's only only one, Dan. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It goes all the way around. It goes all the way around. Sorry, my bad. My bad. Bloody hell. (laughs) Ask a stupid question, mate. There are 500 people there. Um, this was a piece in the Atlantic, by the way, which confusingly is is not a relevant ocean. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but there are 500 people there. They uh, they live in a settlement called uh, Warui Community, and between these 500 people, they speak nine languages. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what the really weird thing is that they haven't developed a mutual pidgin, you know, a kind of mashup language oh, yeah. where everyone knows that one, and they don't speak each other's languages. But there are only 500 of them. You know, you can't only speak to people who know your language. So the way they get along with each other is they all speak their own languages and everyone else just understands enough of the language the other guy is speaking. No way. So effectively, they are like British people on holiday who just (laughs) use their own language and trust that it will be understood. Yes. Oh, wow. Do they shout really loudly? (laughs) Yes. Say it really slowly and in a slightly racist accent? They want two beers. That's what they want. No, and they they have multilingual conversations. So you walk past two people having a chat about something. One will say something in their own language. The other will reply in a completely different language. Wow. That's That's unbelievably confusing. Yeah. yeah. God. Well, hey, here's a cool species from the Andaman Islands. Yeah. It's called Acidabularia jalakanyakai. Oh, yeah. And it's... 10 centimetres tall, uh-huh. it's an algae, and it's made of one cell. Wow. Oh, one cell. Cool, because just... we've done the larger single-celled creature, and I feel like it's not that much bigger than that. That's no, amazing. It it's got one nucleus. It's really weird. It's, it looks quite complicated. Whoa. It's sort of got roots and a stalk and a cap and all this stuff, and it's just one cell. I find those so weird. And how so high cool. can it jump? <laughs> the same as the queen. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't. Um, can I tell you about one more language which died this year? Yeah. yeah. Um, so this was uh, Gaelic in the Braes of Lacaba. Uh, it's a vernacular from this area of Scotland, and it was due to the death of Ronnie the Crofter, who died age 90 this year. 
Um, he was well known in the crofting community and the droving community. Do you remember we talked oh, about yeah. those? He was a bit of a drover. Uh, and his mother came from a family of farmers called the McDonald's. Um, like the, the, McDon- the McDonald's, not the well, the McDonald's. <laughs> in the Scottish McDonald's, the Scottish McDonald's, not, not the not the chain McDonald's. <laughs> no, and not from the old McDonald had a farm. No story, <laughs> farming dynasty. <Yeah. laughs> um, from the Scottish McDonald's, um, and his father was a Campbell. Okay, so the Campbells and the McDonald's, bit of a oh, tough time, but since the massacre of Glencoe between those two families, and so he had to find an explanation for his family. And he found a an ancestor who had been a piper for both the Campbells and the McDonalds, oh, wow. uh, who was one of his ancestors. And so actually he could say, well, you know, we were together back oh. then and we're together again now. That's very uh, nice. And apparently, and this was in the article in the BBC, uh, they said that the pipers in those days uh, were so important in the clan system that a really good one would transfer between clans like a modern footballer would transfer between football teams. Amazing. <laughs> Isn't that That's incredible? so cool. Having That's listened really to enough bagpipes in my time, I think they were thrusting them on each other. Like, you take <laughs> him, honestly. Was he no. called, sorry, was he called Ronnie the Crofter? Ronnie the Crofter, yeah. You're saying it was called Ronald McDonald? Did he raise cows? It doesn't say what his actual surname was, but it, uh, perhaps he was a Campbell. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, but he had two uncles who were archbishops of Glasgow. Uh, wow. His grandmother was a close relation to St. Mary MacKillop, who was the first Australian saint. He was a Shinty champion, he was a champion shearer. Um, he never married, but he said those who were desirable were not available, and those who were available were not desirable. E I E I O. Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is Andy. My fact is that the Rolling Stones' latest tour was sponsored by a retirement planning organisation. <laughs> so, so old now. Surely the main audience of the Rolling Stones is, I'm sorry to say, too late to be planning their retirement. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. God, that's a good point. Well, you know when you watch daytime TV yeah. and all the adverts are like, don't forget your will, guys. Yeah. Or, you know, this donkey sanctuary would really <laughs> be helped if you left it some money. It's basically your- like a big version of that. Yeah. But- in Wembley Stadium or wherever it is. So this is their most recent tour. So there's a group called the Alliance for Lifetime Income. It basically is a non-profit uh, in the form to raise awareness about the need to, you know, protect your income in retirement by getting an annuity. <laughs> da, 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 da. Pretty um, rock and roll. Yeah, and they actually, they, <laughs> I really like this detail. So they, you know, they sponsor the whole thing because the Rolling Stones audience had lots of fans who were up to the age of 75, many who were over. Uh, but they thought this is perfect to spread their message. And they, they sent along a bus to the events uh, where you could get your retirement income security evaluation showing how well you'd be covered in retirement oh, at the gig. Oh, that's stuff. great. I mean, great I love stuff. it. Yeah. This was, so this was the No Filter Tour, That's right. it's called. And it's pretty amazing to see how much money the Stones are still generating. There's a big list of like most successful tours of all time. And this tour is in the top 10. This really? This late really? in their career is in the top 10. So they don't um, need to worry too much, really, about their own retirement savings, well, given that they're all about 95 <laughs> yeah. and still working. Multi-hundred millionaires. Yeah. yeah. Yes. yeah. yeah. And who haven't paid any tax on any of their earnings for the last 30 years. Now, look, they moved to France for a very good reason. <laughs> In the 70s, the rates were very high. The Stones have always done this sort of corporate sponsorship, commercial stuff, like way ahead of other bands and things like this. So 
in um, 2003, they were sponsored by T-Mobile. In 1981, they were sponsored by Joven Musk, which was a fragrance <laughs> firm. And like way, like way, way yeah. back. Well, didn't they start out doing a jingle for Rice Krispies as they, well? They didn't start out doing that, but they did it very early on. Very early like in on 1964. They, and they, so their first gig was in 1962. Right. Quite a, so, yeah. Right. So, so Mick Jagger went to uh, London School of Economics, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, he was quite... And did it. finance and accounting, I think. Certainly did a oh, module really? in it. Yeah. And did pretty badly and didn't do any work but <laughs> clearly picked up something yeah yeah, yeah yeah his tutor said in the first year he got straight c's in all of his subjects um, because he wasn't really paying that much attention but the next year he did come back and do his resets and like went to the library and properly studied and right. stuff like that um, because it was only when they got the first contract to record a first single that he completely gave it up he still oh, kind wow. of thought he might go into finance really? at that stage God, that's interesting so he kind of moved from class c to class a is what you're saying which mirrors hey. the other journey they went on as well <laughs> there was quite a nice interview with the guy who was their accountant back then a guy called Lawrence Myers and he said he remembered talking to Mick Jagger when they were in their 20s and Mick Jagger being really worried then about getting a pension and saying you know <laughs> I, I need to start saving for my retirement because who knows where I'll be and he said he remembers a phrase Mick Jagger saying I'm not exactly going to be playing rock and roll in my 60s am I and then finding it the most hilarious idea <laughs> that he would be and the man is now 78 yeah. they're so old they're so I mean the three surviving key ones I think they're about 200 between them no more than that really are they right well yeah well Mick and Keith are both nearly 80 and yes. Ronnie's, yeah. Ronnie Wood who's the new boy because he's only been in the band for 40 years <laughs> yeah. um, he's never quite fit in basically yeah I mean they, they have this combination of being obviously quite cool greatest rock and roll band of the world blah 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 and powerfully naff yes like, there's, there are so many incredibly boring things about them so <laughs> for example Charlie Watts the drummer mm-hmm. who died yeah, yeah. a year ago he was incredibly dull in multiple different ways. Like he was, it was like he made a study of it. He wasn't really interested in rock and roll music, for one thing. He liked jazz, and he had his own jazz band. And, you know, did <laughs> Not that. necessarily dull if you like jazz. Very good yeah, point, very no, good no, point. No, Sorry, no. yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. All right, that's just a warm-up. That's the start of the tone. Uh, when they went on tour, what's the classic thing a rock band will do to their hotel room? Like on throw tour? TVs out of the window. Absolutely. Yeah. Tear it up. Yeah, he would draw his room on tour. He would produce an accurate drawing of every single room he stayed in on tour for about 50 years. I think it was specifically the beds. He was obsessed with the beds of every hotel room that he stayed in. And he said that basically up until his death, he's had like 15 journals worth of, you know, they did like 2000 gigs. He did every single bed and he felt like if he didn't draw the bed, something was askew in his life. And it just, it was out of whack. Once you've seen one bed, I feel like you've seen them all. Well, he would agree because he said, I have all these hotel rooms recorded. He did all the hotel rooms, but he definitely did the bed every time. But he would often do the whole lodgings. But he said, you've got Washington in 67 and then you got Washington from a couple of years ago and they're kind of the same (laughs) (laughs) I was reading a piece about it and it said the 15 notebooks full of drawings of beds by Charlie Watts and the person who was writing the article said I mean are there any publishers reading this we got to get these printed (laughs) no you don't come on they'd they'd sell like wildfire (laughs) here's what I want to know though and I couldn't find this out he passed away in hospital yep in a bed. I'll stop. I, bet I just want to know: Did he draw the, the final bed? Oh, Do we have the final Charlie Watts bed? I hope somebody did. If he didn't, mm. with him finally in it, Charlie Watts finally <laughs> lying in his bed. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think. I hope he did trash the rooms afterwards because I like to think he trashed the room completely. <laughs> and then, as he's checking out, he went, "I've trashed the room, but here's exactly what it looked like." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so another thing of Charlie Watts is that he used to have all these amazing cars. It was a hobby. He would collect all these cars, uh, really expensive, but he didn't have a driver's license. So they just used to sit in his garage. But what he used to do is he would commission a suit that matched the car. What? Yeah, in its color. And he would just go sit in his garage <laughs> in his suit in the car yeah. and just, I guess, go broom and just play with Jesus. it for a bit. Yeah. And that's, that's what you do with all your tax avoided money, isn't it? Why is there a car you can't drive? <laughs> He, he didn't like the drums even, or he didn't like practicing the drums, and in fact just didn't do it. There's quite a charming interview with him where he was asked if he ever practiced himself on the drums, and he was like, God, no, I'd never practice the drums. Playing the drums is so bloody boring. And he said, it's really dull playing the drums. He's scared of the drums. He thinks they're too scared loud. He's scared of the drums. <laughs> His life reads like a tragedy, really. You know, you become incredibly famous and successful doing something you fear and hate. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that every time he was like, boom. Ah, yeah. <laughs> he um, started life as a banjo player. Did he? Wow. Yeah. Um, well, that. he was given a banjo to play. Uh, has anyone tried to play a banjo? No. By the way, no. it's really, really hard to play banjo. Uh, and he found it also hard. He couldn't work out the fingerings. And so he kind of broke up his banjo. And with his broken banjo <laughs> and a Meccano set, he made his first drum kit, which is how That's he learned brilliant. the drums. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's quite cool, because on quite a few of the That's Big really Stones funny. tracks, he plays a kid's drum oh, instead really? of using actual drums. I can't really? remember which. Yeah, the, the massive oh, tracks. I, I can't remember that. the names of them. Oh, That's fun, because he said the only way he ever did practice was playing with heavy sticks just on his legs so maybe he loved playing drums that aren't real drums sorry he, he beat himself on the legs <laughs> yeah he, could, he can't walk now actually no he was so scared of drums I mean, he definitely can't, he can't walk now he can't walk now <laughs> god um my landlord used to be mick jagger's old flatmate oh yeah and oh, yeah. and it's just there is a bit of a celeb connection um yeah. which is that my landlord is tim henman's dad and so tim henman's <gasps> dad and mick jagger used to live with each other God. In Richmond, I oh, think. The stories it was. they must have had to say to each other. Yeah. <laughs> Tim Hamill, really? I guess, wasn't born at the time. No. No. But I'll bet they still found a lot to talk about. Absolutely. Yeah. It's <laughs> not the most. <laughs> Dan, that is very. What? Your old landlord. My old landlord. Was Tim Hamill's dad as well? I can't believe I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah that's. A, you've been holding that fact out I think for eight told years. Us that before. I think I have. Yeah. My, I, think I found must have found it too exciting and <laughs> deliberately forgotten it because I wouldn't have been able to look it down the same way again. Okay. I'm actually shaking a bit just being in the same room as a guy who once paid rent to the father of former British number one Tim Hemmer. I'm shaking a bit, but the bit that's shaking is my head. <laughs> <laughs> it's a true story. There used yeah. to be a very huge thing in bands about eating on stage. This oh, yeah. is really, so during the Rolling Stones' first ever gig, Ian Stewart is kind of the sixth member of the Rolling Stones, but he's mm-hmm. never been one of the front lineup, but he played with them decades and decades. Mm-hmm. At their first gig in 1962, which was in a club on Oxford Street, he was playing the piano with one hand and eating a pork pie with the other. Right. It's not a very complex piano part, is no. it? If you can do the pork pie <laughs> Unless with you, you know when you play chopsticks and two of you can play at the same time. Oh, yeah. you think he had someone else's hand. Someone else was eating a prawn sandwich while yeah. playing <laughs> the left hand. Yeah. Interesting. Well, actually, there I- is quite a lot of do, 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 do. Single-handed piano going on. Well, there Must be go, the yeah. pork pie in the, the pork other. Pie <laughs> the <other ones. laughs> but the Beatles used to eat jam sandwiches on stage. And yeah. then their manager, Brian Epstein, Did told me. them, you have to stop eating jam sandwiches on stage. Was that in Berlin? Sorry, in Hamburg. That's pre that. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, this looks quite unprofessional, boys. But that was the same way as um, Bob Marley had his sandwiches, wasn't it? <laughs> 
Oh my oh, god. Lovely. We, we're jamming. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Amazing. Oh my god. Just for the dads. Jeez. The dads are listening. Actually, speaking of Bob Marley, um, I was looking into people who were connected as staff of the Rolling Stones off the back of the fact that they had such a good financial package <laughs> set up for them. And uh, just to see if any of them had gone on to anything interesting. And I found this guy who used to work as private security for the Rolling Stones in the 60s. Never permanently. He just had worked for them time to time. Okay. Um, um, like an investigator? No, as in no, like, a, like bouncer a bouncer kind oh, okay. of thing. Um, and his perfect. name uh, was Judge Dredd. <laughs> and obviously not his real name. Alexander oh. Minto Hughes is his real name. But he went under the name Judge Dredd, which was his later career, which was he was an English reggae and ska musician. And he was the first ever white guy to have a hit for reggae in Jamaica. First guy ever. And mm. he was massive there. And he went over to tour and they had no idea that he was white when he got there. So they were like, my God, who's this, who's this incredible guy? He had more band songs on the BBC than anyone else ever ah. before. So he was he was the bouncer for, for the Stones. Cool. And he went on to that after. That's good. It's no, my former landlord was Tim Hedman's dad. Don't let on it, though. I lived in Tim Hedman's childhood room. That was my room. Oh, God. Did, and have they preserved it exactly the way it had been? Yes. Well, you weren't no, allowed no. to take the posters down, were you? <laughs> there was a drawing by Charlie Watts of what it used to look like. <laughs> um, it was trash by the time I got there. Okay, it's time for the final fact of the show, and that leaves me. My fact this week is that clowns can spot amateur clowns by the amount of makeup that they put around their mouths. Oh, so, too much or too little? Too much is, ah. is the problem. An amateur clown will do up the top lip with um, white, with red, with black. They'll, they'll do the whole mouth. And the professional clowns, uh, they, they refer to this as a busted asshole. That's... They, an incredibly upsetting phrase. <laughs> and I wish it was the first time it had even been on this podcast, but it's not. Is it? Is it what? Because, you know, you've got to check the archive of what we've said before on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, so that we don't repeat anything. Well, exactly. Well, fortunately, we're not repeating this fact, but it's just the second use of the phrase because... Do you oh, remember? God, should we guess? When have we I, said busted asshole I remember asshole it now. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what it was. It's not the um, the ladies with the rectum that no. was... Uh, no, it's not the ox rectum. That was. I that think was it many. was someone said... It was like a quote from someone. Oh, yes. It's a phrase. That's right. It's a phrase. It's, he's about as much use as a hat full of busted oh, assholes. Right. Ah, yeah. Who was that yeah. by? I can't remember. Oh, okay. Were they referring to a fake clown <laughs> 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 Um So I got this fact from a book called God No by Penn Jillette, Penn of Penn and Teller. So it's all about his life as a magician, how he got to be who he was. And one of the things that he did when he was coming up... His as- name is Penn. He must have been able to think of a better name for his memoir. No, I like Godno. From the pen of pen. Yes, like, for you're instance. right. Yeah. I mean, Is that G- good, though? Gillette, the best a man can get. Yes, that's another one. <laughs> yeah, so um, he, he failed title-wise, but the content <laughs> is quite good. He... Um, he went as a teenager or late teen, he went into the Ringling Brothers in Barnum and Bailey Greater Show on Earth Clown College. Uh, and that was in Florida. And he started doing classes in trapeze and all that stuff. And he really sucked at physical comedy. He didn't like it at all. He learned how to be a clown. And in the process of being taught how to be a clown, you learn that there's certain things that you should and shouldn't do if you want to really get it right. And one of the things that they do say is that if you put makeup on the top of your lip, you're effectively closing off emotion uh, in a really interesting... Uh, 
interesting. Yeah, so by by leaving that empty, you can get more out of a clown's face. Whereas an amateur clown just thinks, I've just got to cake the whole thing. Mm. Um, and is that because Ronald McDonald, I think, does it wrong then in my memory? Oh, he's, he's just Ron, died. Ron, the poor guy, the poor crofter. Yeah, just died. Crofter. <laughs> no, I, I think, well, doesn't he have a busted ass or Ronald McDonald? He does. <laughs> oh my God, absolutely. Well, the legal letters will be flooding their way in. Wowzers. Well, the area of clown IP is quite interesting because <laughs> it's sort of mostly egg-based, it seems. Mm. The way that clown makeup is registered is on eggs. And this was a thing that was started in 1946 by a guy called Stan Bolt, who wasn't a clown. He was a chemist, oddly. And he started, blow, you know, when you blow eggs. So I suppose yeah, that's yeah. sort of adjacent to chemistry. So you mean blowing the insides out of the eggs? Yep, hollowing out, blowing out the inside of an egg and then he started painting faces of prominent clowns on these eggs as kind of a hobby and then he developed this huge file of clown faces and all of their makeup <laughs> is completely different I always thought standard clown they all look the same yeah. embarrassing now that I thought that because if you look at the egg collection they all look completely different and um, actually the there's a suitcase of hollowed out egg faces that he painted that still exists well, still, which is quite impressive it still exists in London doesn't it the clown. Um, exactly the well, collection still exists in London it does exist in London but it used to be held in a it was in a museum wasn't it and I think it was only like once a month it would open right. um, because of the costs of keeping it going um, but now it's not even there anymore there was a flood in the museum <gasps> and the clown faces the eggs are kept in the basement of this guy in Clerkenwell uh, who was the archivist of the museum <laughs> Uh, Are you serious? There's been a terrible flood. So as a result, we've moved them to a basement. (laughs) Put them in the attic. Uh, Yeah, really good point. Uh, He probably lives in the ground floor flat. I don't know. Uh, But yeah, apparently during lockdown, he kind of got through it by going checking all of his archives from the Clown Museum. That's how he got through lockdown. In lockdown, lockdown, seeing a cupboard with a thousand creepy painted eggs living there. It gets worse. There was... He also has 47 clown costumes and 20 pairs of clown shoes, um, which he would go and look at from time to time. But he said in an interview, the only reason you get clown shoes in a museum is because the clown who wore them has died. Ernest Hemingway was once asked to write the saddest poem he could with six (laughs) words, and it was for sale clown shoes yes. <laughs> too big, too big. <laughs> have any of you guys just, have any of you guys been to clown school no but no, you have yeah. I have yeah. Yes. Yes. just in case one of you guys had also been present and I hadn't noticed mm. it was a horrible experience yeah. was it yeah why it's not clowns as in you know like big shoes and tiny cars was it it's a different no. type of clown school no it's um, it's it's the sort of upsetting Gaudier Lecoq the master will break you down and then rebuild you thing right. yeah, yeah. but like learning to fall over and stuff and um, no no none of that no um, no it's just you get to- you get you get horribly insulted by the instructor they're trying to t- work out who your comedy character is is that right a little bit and yeah you all arrive in a tiny car that's the airport pickup did everyone get horribly insulted by the instructor or were you just not very good there was one guy who was a bit of a teacher's pet who didn't get horribly instructed but the rest of the rest of us all got and it was only a four-day course as well so they had time to kind of break us down very badly but not really time to build us back up again so it was four of the worst days of my life they waterboarded you with confetti didn't they (laughs) <laughs> I had to smell so many flowers. <laughs> um, have you guys heard of Lady Avetta, who was in 1895 called the only lady clown? Oh, no. Yeah. Probably wasn't the only lady clown at the time. 
Um, but she was a very famous clown. And one of her favorite tricks was she would sit in the audience and next to some unsuspecting bloke. And then she would claim that that was actually her fiance uh, and heckle the ringmaster saying, you looking at my fiance, that kind of thing. Um, but what I really like about her is that there's a quote from her in the New York Times, and she said, All my people laughed at me when I told them I was going into the ring as a clown, but they do not laugh now. Oh my God. That's Isn't it? Bob Monkhouse. Bob it's Monkhouse. supposed to be a Bob Monkhouse yeah. joke, yes. but actually it's from 1895. Really? Actually, Bob Monkhouse was so old, it wasn't originally his <laughs> joke. He was the husband. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, isn't that cool? Wow. Uh, another female clown, Annie Fratellini, um, she founded the first circus school in Europe in 1975. Uh, and she did the full kind of um, Auguste clown of these. So oh, you've white got face. white face, you've got the red lips and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and when she was asked whether she was portraying a male or a female, she insisted that clowns have no gender. Uh, she founded the first circus school, so I think she is the authority on that. So if you see a clown, you think it's a man or a woman. It's not. It's just a clown. Mm. Uh, and her father, her grandfather was Paul Fratellini. Uh, Paul, Francois, and Albert, they were famous clowns, all three of them, really, really famous clowns. And their father, so her great-grandfather, was Gustavo Fratellini, and he was an Italian patriot who, along with Giuseppe Garibaldi, took part in the unification of Italy. Oh, wow. Oh, but really? imagine, like, like unifying Italy, and then all of your kids are clowns. <laughs> Isn't that a weird song? <laughs> what was it all for? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Or just on the clown sex thing, like clowns don't have yeah. a sex. That does kind of make sense because yep. otherwise you're implying the existence of clown genitalia. Which and is... that would be what sacrilege to a cl- the clown. Well, where does that ha ha sound come from? If not from that's not them squeezing their balls. <laughs> <is it? laughs> <laughs> or vaginas. Yeah. <laughs> they can do, do amazing that. balloon tricks. Actually, yeah. that's the really clever thing. Yeah. Um, Henry the Fourth of France had his life saved by a clown. Really? By okay. his own clown in 1594. Wow. An assassin got into his bedroom and was going to assassinate him, and he was in what? there with his clown. Yeah. Oh yeah. And. <laughs> <laughs> Just testing, is it true what they say? The clowns have no genitals. Maybe is we could test the theory. what they say about men with big feet? <laughs> there was nothing untoward going on. The clown how, was still How about in... a busted asshole? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, wow. No assholes were busted in the making of this um, escapade. Uh, this was actually a female clown as oh, well. It was She yeah. was called Maturine de Valois. And she arrested the assassin and stopped the, uh, the assassin leaving the room and saved wow. thus saved his life. I don't know how she did it. I don't mm. know if it was wow. uh, confetti to the face, but yeah. That's Mate. incredible. And then his hand was burned with molten sulfur and lead. Whose hand? The assassin, yeah, really? um, as a punishment, or? as a punishment, because oh. it was the hand that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a body trick gone wrong. <laughs> wow, that's what? Crazy. To, sorry, because it was the hand that had touched the king, and then he was executed. Oh, oh. I uh, thought that was like a. We'll let you off on this occasion, but we'll we'll, we'll mess up your hand. No, no, it was we'll mess up your hand, and then we'll kill you. Oh dear, and then we'll chop you into loads of pieces. Well, it was a different time. But <laughs> that was okay then. Um. You know they don't say break a leg in clown land? Do they not? No. What mm-hmm. do they say? They say bump a nose. Oh, yeah. that's good. Bump a nose. Huh. Group of clowns together? What are they called? Clown town. No, as in like the collective a noun. Collective, a collective noun of clowns. Yes. Um, a collective clown? Mm. Honk of clowns? Mm, uh, yeah. Honk of clowns? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just well, the just listener, Jane's more. hand did go under the table. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> 
Uh, it's a giggle. Uh, like a gaggle of geese. A gaggle of geese and a, a giggle, giggle of clowns. Of clowns. Yeah. <laughs> um, can I tell you one clown trick? Um, I was on the website of clown historian Bruce Charlie Johnson, which is an unbelievably good clowning site. It's so it's, it's one of those old websites which you know made about 15 years ago, so it looks very old, but it's just full of great information. And there was a clown who told the world um, called Adolf Proper. Decades and decades ago, but one of his tricks was this. I think it's very important that we know exactly how many decades ago Adolf Proper was touring. Was it seven decades ago or was it nine decades ago? <laughs> Early 20th century, it's as far as no. I'll go. Okay. But basically, he had this musical comedy act, a clowning act, and he, he, he could produce large numbers of items from his coat. That was the thing. It was kind of a oh, Mary, yeah. Mary Poppins bag. Okay. Get what he produced. Um, 300 bananas <laughs> okay. 57% of which could be peeled um, 3 watermelons 6 pineapples 4 oranges 24 neckties a broom an oboe 12 mandolins a cigar box a trash can a hatchet a music stand and other items My was God. what he got out of one coat and the, th- the way he did it was they were all collapsible they were made from papier-mâché oh. so good and they were fitted with intricate springs so they all expanded whenever yeah. they were produced that's really clever that's Great. fabulous although I really thought because you, you started with a list of fruit and then you said 24 neckties and I thought you thought that was the plural of nectary <laughs> <laughs> What? <laughs> Why have I been wearing this around my neck all this time then? <laughs> okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can all be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, Andy at Andrew Hunter M, James at James Harkin, and Anna. You can email podcast.qi.com. Yep. Or you can go to our group account, which is at no such thing, or go to our website, no such thing as a fish.com. Check out all of our previous episodes. They're up there. Check out our upcoming tour dates in September. We're going back on the road for a few shows. Do come along and uh, do come back as well next week because we'll be here with another episode. We'll see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.